when young women hear about these career pathways, they get excited, they want to pursue it, they want to be a part of this incredible, growing, in-demand path. But unless we also work on the retention and advancement piece with industry, we're going to constantly have a revolving door. So that's why, in my opinion, we're not seeing the numbers increase at the rate that they should because we get them in, but we're not focusing on keeping them in, or that's just been an oversight. Hello and welcome to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and in this episode, I sit down with Noor Hisham Fawaz, president and founder of Build-A-Dream, a not-for-profit organization aiming to help get more women and young girls into the skilled trades, steam, and manufacturing workforce. Their efforts are divided into two main fronts. The first one is they actively educate women and young girls and their parents about the extensive career pathways available to them in the STEAM fields. The other front is helping employers attract, hire, and retain more women in their companies. As we learn in the episode, getting more women into STEAM will require a holistic shift in, well, everything. Parents need to be better educated about the opportunities available to their kids in these fields. Kids, specifically girls. They need to know that using your hands can lead to a very successful career in manufacturing. And it's not a boy's job. And you don't need a university degree to advance. And employers, well, they have some work to do as well. They need to better understand how to attract, hire, and retain a more diverse workforce. Now, to be fair, over the years, these companies have hired women. I mean, the number of women working in manufacturing is not zero, after all. So this raises the question, at least it did for me, of what happens to the women currently working in manufacturing? Well, the answer is very little. As a non-HR professional, I've come to understand that attracting, hiring, and retaining an employee are three very different activities. Now, I would argue the first two, attracting and hiring, they are the easiest things to accomplish, relatively speaking. But retention, that's proven to be a four-decade-long challenge. Many have shown up over the years, but then they leave. Why? Well, the very short answer is, they don't feel welcome. What I liked most about this episode was that Noor breaks down exactly why the retention challenge is what it is, what needs to change, and how to do it. Check the timestamp for the discussion. It's a bit of a long section, but it's all there in ways that even I can understand. Unconscious biases, cultural blind spots, truly inclusive work environments. All this and more is covered in my conversation with Noor. Companies looking to thrive in the 21st century owe it to themselves to better understand how to diversify their talent pipelines if they hope to keep on making it in Ontario. And today, I'm in Windsor, and I'm speaking with... I'm speaking with one of our oldest, best friends sitting across the boardroom table from me. Would you please introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, Nick. This is Noor Hashem Fawaz, the president and founder of Build a Dream, and welcome to our office. Thank you. This is It's great to finally be here. I'm so excited. I know it's been a while in the making, but we're so happy to have you here. And I'm happy to have this conversation. So let's get right to it. Noor, for the unfortunate souls that don't know you, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first off, I think my husband would feel differently about the unfortunate souls <laughs> that don't know me. Um, he'd beg to differ. But um, no, I'm the president and founder of Build a Dream, which is a national not-for-profit organization solely focused on helping companies to diversify their workforce by building the talent pipeline. 
And the way that in which we do that is by educating young women and women in general about the pathways within the skill trades, science, technology, engineering, and math, and essentially all male-dominated industries, because we do believe that there's still societal norms that are keeping not only women from looking into these as potential opportunities, but limiting companies in tapping into that 50%. So the way in which we still support, recruit, and retain women in the sectors still is based on old ways of doing things. So our organization is trying to dismantle all those systems so that we create a workforce that works for everybody. But we also know that parents, as the key influencers, still have a certain stereotype of this industry. And so we wanted to really break down those stereotypes, bring them through the door to discover new pathways and to really highlight that the way the skilled trades looked 20, 30 years ago has significantly changed. We know that technology has played a significant role in that acceleration. But beyond that is that at the end of the day, as parents, our role is to ensure that our children are choosing career pathways that are not only something that they care about and enjoy, but also that are going to be financially stable. And so in order for us to do that, then we need to start as early as grade school and high school. And that's where Build a Dream essentially started. What I found during that experience was that it wasn't just about exposing young women to these pathways, that unless we attract them and recruit them, retention and advancement was an issue. So when we would talk to companies, they would say, well, yeah, like I, I, I did have one woman work for me at one point, but she didn't stay. And so I'm always of the mindset that, well, why? Like, why is it? Is it, is it that they don't want it? Is it that the environment does, is not conducive to supporting a diverse workforce? Is it the policies? Is it the schedule? Just knowing that I've been doing this research for 12 years and that the barriers have not changed. The barriers have stayed the same. And they include the perception of the industry. They include the way that the industry has been designed by men for men. And so that means that how we structure our workplaces, our start time, our end time, our shift work, our policies, our procedures, our mindsets, our ideas of what each gender brings to the table does influence how we recruit and then how we retain. And so knowing all of that, the organization has further developed programs to not only now recruit, but unless we also work on the retention and advancement piece with industry, we're going to constantly have a revolving door. So that's why, in my opinion, we're not seeing the numbers increase at the rate that they should because we get them in, but we're not focusing on keeping them in, or that's just been an oversight. Noor, in my path towards always improving and always trying to learn, I've come to understand that everyone has certain blind spots in the way they think, in the way they operate, in the way they perceive the world. I'm guilty of it myself. What do you wish more men knew yeah. about, like, what what blind spots have you seen? It's like, oh my God, do you not know that you have that blind spot? Are you... What are some of the blind spots that men have? In all honesty, I think that it's human nature to see the world from the lens that we've been conditioned to see it from. So what I wish more people knew is that just because it's always been done this way 
does not mean it needs to continue this way. And that it's not about you or I or us against them. It's about creating a community, creating a system where you're not left out simply because of your gender, your race, your background, your religion and whatnot. I I think that that is where the blind spot happens is that, well, we have all these preconceived notions as to, or men, because I typically work with men when I'm trying to get their companies to support our organization. And what I hear often, and 12 years ago I heard this when I went out into the workforce, how many women do you have on your shop floor knowing that the skill trade shortage was happening back then and hasn't slowed down? They said, well, we would hire women if they applied. Okay, great. So anyone that knows me knows I take on a challenge. And so we applied for funding, received funding to recruit women into a pre-apprenticeship industrial mechanic millwright program funded through the government of Ontario, led by Women's Enterprise Skills Training of Windsor, my former employer, and St. Clair College, along with Unifor. And essentially, it supported the recruitment of women into this space. And then those that were successful got 26 weeks of in-school training and then a 12-week paid placement that was subsidized by the government. And then they would get their level one certificate. And pre-apprenticeship programs are known to accelerate the diversity in the industry. And so I went back to the same companies who said to me that if women applied, they'd hire them. And I said, okay, well, great. I have 28 women ready to work. And then the conversation changed. And so you ask about blind spots and it's the unconscious bias that we have just based on what we think we know. And so we think we know that for certain that if a a uh, woman gets pregnant, that that's going to impact our whole business model. We think we know that once you introduce women, you're going to get a sexual harassment charge. We think, That's the perception? Yeah. And we still hear it as of today. Wow. And so, or, well, I don't have female facilities. Like this was 12 years ago. And you look at that and you think, wow you're leaving out 50% of the population simply because you think you know. And let's just say any of those factors were a reality. How does that differ from discrimination on the shop floor, medical leaves, parental leaves, which we know that that Canada is encouraging more of the joint, both men and women taking parental leave, and just simple business practices. Like that's not unique to just bringing women into a male-dominated industry. And so when I hear stories like that, I think what I'm hearing is that the only reason you're not hiring more women is because you're afraid of the negative and not focusing on the positive of what they bring to this to this space. And so what I wish men knew when I walk into a room, I'm not here to displace anyone. If anything, I'm here to help you get more people. And I'm here to work with you in saying that there are different strategies as an an organization, as a company that you can implement to protect yourself, but also not limit women's potential in gaining a great career in a lucrative financial income simply because we have these unconscious biases that we feel uncomfortable in addressing. Last week... 
I did. A, I recorded a podcast. It's, it hasn't been released yet. Although if you're hearing this, you're it's it probably has been released by that by now. But uh, it was uh, Kepler Communications, mm-hmm. and I was interviewing. It was Brendan and I. We were both there, and I asked one of the. Um, her title escapes me now, but she's one of the chief designer engineers there. And I asked her, so tell me about, uh, you know, some of the challenges you experienced getting into this. And she was like, actually, my story is kind of boring. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, well, I kind of just, I wanted to be a space engineer. And then I did it. She's like, I had the support of the university. I had the support of my parents. And then I just kind of did it. And she was, she was almost like, yeah, my story is just kind of boring. And I thought, you're right. It is. And it should be, it should be that the only challenge in front of you is the, the, the nature of the, t- your challenge is to build satellites. You don't need to be worried about getting harassed, right? Which I thought kind of coincided nicely with the report that we did when I first started at Trillium. Um, I, we did, I did, I had no hand in that. That was already going before I started, <laughs> but um, it was about those companies and certain sectors that have done well. Sanofi, for example, pharmaceuticals, they tend to basically, the, it seems to be, and, and to tell me if I'm wrong on this, it seems to be like the smarter, sorry, not smarter, the more advanced the industry, whether it's satellites or vaccines, it seems to be like women have made more inroads there and there seems to be a bit more parity. Would you say that's correct? So I, I guess this is what I would say. And I know that uh, Brendan and I, and being part of a little bit of part of this, the, that research component, we saw that pharmaceutical in general attracted more women. So if we look at the programs or what you would need to take in high school and into post-secondary, like university, biology is, is actually oversubscribed by, by women. And so naturally they would, they would be more attracted to that kind of sector, Right. even though the role that they're in, in the manufacturing world, does not have many women in there. But I agree with you when you say, I get what you're saying when you said advanced, progressive, or whatnot. Those that have the resources, the tools, the talent, and the time to sit down and evaluate and to ask questions that don't lead to the same solutions that just are not working. So when you have champions and executives and managers that say, okay, this is not working and it hasn't, the system in itself is broken. So what have we not explored? Those companies that were in your in the Trillium report that are doing an excellent job in attracting, recruiting, retaining, and advancing women have the infrastructure and looked at their data in a way that was forward thinking as opposed to fearing that if we created this change, it's going to impact our culture in a negative way. Because what we heard was that I actually did the complete opposite. It supported and enhanced their culture. It enhanced productivity. It enhanced revenue. There are so many aspects. The beginning part might be challenging and difficult, but that's with anything that we start that's new. And so that's what I would say in terms of these companies that they are putting the resources, both financially and human resources, to really sit, evaluate, reevaluate, change, pivot when it comes to human resources. Which, in my experience, what I found is some companies where they don't do well is when they hire one and it doesn't work out and they say, well, see, like, 
it didn't work out. It's because women can't do it, don't want it. They just leave. As opposed to asking a simple question. Why? And that's where Build a Dream started was, why is it that we have a huge skill trade shortage and women only make up 3% of these industries at that time? Like across Canada, I'm talking about apprenticeship. Why is that? Like, I, like are you telling me that only 3% of women want to work with tools, want to work with their hands, want to work outside, want to make great money, want to be part of innovation, want to look at a building and say, I've been part of that, want to look at a machine? Like, we're only saying only, like, only some women, like very few women in this entire nation want that of course not we need to we need to be more proactive as an industry as a government as a community as leaders to say we've left women out and it's now on us collectively to bring them in and to show them that they need to stay because the industry needs them you are absolutely correct and um one of the other bits of data that brendan is uh, is very keen to repeat and he sends his regrets, by the way. Yes. Um, uh, okay, I just want, can I say one quick thing of, about you and Brendan? Sure. You both have played an instrumental role in the work that I do here at Build a Dream. Um, and it's the small little micro moments that, that I believe lead to macro change. And this is what I mean, is that I've been doing this for a very long time. And I find my greatest success when men in these leadership roles commit to organizations like build a dream beyond just saying we support you you involve me and in, you involve my organization in projects you invite me to meetings with industry you talk to other companies about the work that we're doing you advocate on our behalf to people that look like you and sound like you um, you record this podcast you attend our events you connect me to other women doing incredible work. And when I'm when I'm thinking of what could people do, it's as simple as just being open to having a conversation and an open mind to say, okay, I may not agree at this very second, but let me see, let, let me sit on it. And now let's see the world from a different perspective. And especially men who have daughters, wives, mothers, if you put if you make it more personal, it changes the whole dynamic of what we're working towards. And you're opening doors not just for the future generation, but the women that matter in your life. And so I just I I, I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's very important for me to acknowledge those that have supported me along the way. And it's um, you and Brendan. So I just wanted to well, say thank you. Well, thank you, Noor. And, and there's a very specific reason why we keep including you in stuff like this. It's because what you bring to the table is valid, is relevant, it's researched, it's backed by data, mm -hmm. and it's it's critical. It's so, yeah, I mean, this is, a thing. I, I'm, I'm happy to, it sounds like we've, we're developing a very symbiotic relationship here. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm, thank you and you're welcome. Okay, yes. Very much so. And, and on that topic, because this, and this I've found is the hardest part to change. Yet it's the most important culture. It takes time to develop. It's easy to destroy. But I've been to shop floors where they have figured it out, where there are. One of the first podcasts I did was when this, this it, it was a machine shop. And he was saying how one of his best employees was, she started off at the mills. It, 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 she liked it, liked it, didn't like it. Then she, then she ended up going to quality control. She was like, she has like three inch fingernails painted. And she's doing quality control for like 
nuclear components within you know what i mean yes it's incredible yeah and and that's that is it, it takes time it takes a boss who and i'm i'm happy to talk to you about him later like it takes a boss who says you you're doing great oh i'm I, you didn't like the mill okay well there's plenty of other opportunities here in manufacturing you've got a detail oriented mind go inspect that nuclear component please mm-hmm. and she does boom boom but she gets it what are some if, and, and this is going to be a difficult one, I, I imagine. But how do you improve culture? It's the big question. How do you improve culture on a shop floor? Okay, so that is a very complex question. Every business owner, every leader has this conversation. And, and those that really care about it will prioritize it. Men are offered advancements based on their potential, where women are offered are less likely to be offered advancements simply because they're assessed on what they've done not what they're the possibility of what they could do which plays a role in culture which plays a role in retention and advancement so what do i mean by that examples have shown that first thing the women have to work two to three times as hard to prove themselves because when we say the blind spots when you walk in and you have to prove that you belong and then you have to prove that you know what you're doing. Then you have to prove that you need to stay. Think of the amount of effort that that takes just to be part of a culture that's the, the odds were stacked against you. So when I say like, well, what can companies do? It's really normalizing that with change comes discomfort, but only until we adjust to it. I'll give you one example just to kind of create a perspective. We ran this 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 uh, tra- it's called Trades Campus, and it was all about retaining women in the industry. So we brought women across the industry, across Ontario, and we would host sessions and give them like advice on skills, how to negotiate, how to communicate if there's they're feeling a sense of discrimination or if their culture is a little bit difficult to work within in a way that was very proactive. And someone mentioned that she's the only woman on the shop floor. And one day, one of the other machinists said, women belong in the kitchen. He said it loud enough that she heard it. And clearly, that was a intentional insult to women. So when you say change culture, what happened there was a great example on how you create culture. And it was the manager that brought in the machinist and said that was completely inappropriate. Uh, He's like, I was just joking. And he's like, that wasn't a joke because this person is the only woman on the shop floor. And he's like, and come to think about it, you make other jokes that make other men feel uncomfortable. And so there's zero tolerance for it. So when you say like, what, how do you change culture? Well, you start by listening and really... (laughs) taking a leadership approach to say like would I want to be talked to this way like would I want my daughter to be talked to this way I know from stories it is sometimes not pretty (laughs) what they see and it's awful what I'd like to encourage those listening and more men to do is can you open a door like open a door make it a little bit easier to just have this conversation I mean the number one issue facing industry is labor shortages (laughs) We just want to help you tap into the other 50% to benefit you in the long term. Let's talk about Dreamer Day Fest Mm -hmm. because I was there and that day, I forget her name, but she was the representative from the 
you probably know who it is. The one with the, the egg freezing. Oh, Alicia. Yes. Her and her company, how they're, they're bringing the costs of egg freezing down. And then she said the phrase, so that women can disconnect their careers from their biological clocks. And that clicked for me. And I like you would think that that's not something that I would need to have clicked into my brain. And yet I had to go to Dreamer Day Fest to get that insight. It now costs half as much for a woman to disconnect her biological clock from her career. Just the idea of having your biological clock connected to your career. I'm rambling here, but I want to talk about Dreamer Day Fest because that event, that event was not for me. I felt very underrepresented there that day. And that's a good thing. Tell me, tell tell us about that day for those who weren't there. Certainly. Um, And first off, thank you so much for coming and, and sharing your thoughts. And it was Alyssa Atkins and... She is this dynamite leader who is, again, trying to change the world for women and make things more affordable, like egg freezing. I'm so happy to hear that that was one of your blind spots that kind of clicked. And I saw firsthand why women connect their reproductive system and their thoughts of having a family to their career because they bear the burden of children. Companies, like you didn't know this, but like I could choose choose not to want to have kids ever. But I walk into a company that's very much male dominated and they look at me. I just got married and I've been heard this before. You're in your prime. And think about that. I haven't even disclosed that I want to have kids or that I'm going to have kids. And I'm already, the door has already been shut. And so what Alyssa's doing is creating a world of opportunities. But what Build the Dream and Dreamer Day is doing is educating not just young women about the world of possibilities, but the stakeholders in that room like you. I, I think that, yes, you were underrepresented. And I should have been. And you should have been, because it was the way it was targeted was that young woman to help them see a future that they never imagined existed. And we did just that. So Dreamer Day, just so I can get the audience some context, Our organization, as I mentioned, runs Career Discovery Expos across Canada. And I've always had this dream of bringing women into a space where the entire experience from walking in the door to the speakers to the exhibitors would not only show them a world of possibilities, but highlight the pathways they've never considered. But along the way, along this experience, their confidence is being built, their esteem, their future potential is unleashed. And that was what Dreamer Day was about. It was about showing young women in high school that you can have what you want, you can do what you want, and you have the power of choice. And we're here to show you that. When there's a round table for both men and women, that diversity in thought is important because we're gonna bring something that was your blind spot and vice versa. And so Dreamer Day was the biggest event that Build a Dream hosted. We had 2,500 young women from across the province of Ontario. We hosted it ourselves in partnership with some of some amazing, incredible sponsors who believed in the vision, like Enbridge was our presenting sponsor. And we had over uh, 50 companies attend I think it was like 60 speakers and this was all organized in three months and that was a you organized that event in three months yes I know we're crazy but yes <laughs> wow yeah July August September 
I don't recommend you ever do that. Um, and we're going to start organizing it much sooner. Like, I'll take that advice. Yeah. Like tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but uh, until my Twitch is done from Dreamer Day. But I'll give you an example. So when people are like, do you think it was a success? Yes. Did it cost a ton of money? Of course it did. But was the investment worth it? 100%. Because I recently was tagged in a video. It was a young woman that attended Dreamer Day. And she is a newcomer to Canada. And she documented her experience going to Toronto for the first time. So let's just say her name was Cheryl. And Cheryl decided to, like, this this changed her worldviews. Next year, she's in, she's deciding on her courses. She decides to enter the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program. Then she decides to go into manufacturing as a general machinist. And then she moves on to become a third year, fourth year, completes her apprenticeship and works for a global company. How do we measure that success? So we need to follow this young woman's trail, which is something that we're working on. But what I want to send is that I'm asking companies to invest in the potential that I know women have and that that investment is not going to come back immediately. In certain cases, we've shown, yes, it does. In other cases, that's going to be an investment that you're making today for a better tomorrow. And so like startups, it takes three to five years to really start seeing revenue and profit and getting like out of the startup stage. Why is it any different when you're looking at a human factor and that's diversifying the workforce and changing culture and mindset? It's going to take years. It's not a light switch. We have this amazing community of women in the industry that we've created and brought together that empower each other to keep going and to get more women into their industry. And the best way to recruit more women into the industry is to recruit more women into the industry and retain them and give them a good experience so that they advocate for your industry. And to reassure that ego aside, which is very tough for anybody, it's not about this win and you're a loss. We're all winning at the end of the day because we've created a world where a dual income household does not have to fear losing their job during a recession, especially when we have jobs going unfilled. And so this is how you build economy. This is how you build community. This is how you build investment. Companies are going to begin doing themselves a disservice if they are not bringing diversity into the conversation when they're looking three to five years out. Noor, you almost got away on this podcast without talking about your award from last week. Hmm. Let's talk about that. You won an award last week, didn't you? I did. Tell us about it. Um, are you talking about the top 100? The, the one you got at APMA. Oh, the APMA one. Oh, there's uh, multiple awards. Tell us about all your <laughs> awards then, Newer. Let's let's do this. Uh, okay. Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, no, uh, thank you for acknowledging that. Um, the APMA, I have to say, both. Both awards were incredible. But the APMA, I got a call from Lauren Tedesco on the Friday before the APMA conference. Because I had emailed her and said, I forgot to purchase my dinner ticket. Can I still purchase it? Um, just invoice me. And so she called me. So I'm thinking in my head, she's calling me to tell me that it's sold out, that there's no more room. And so she said that she told me on Friday that I got the Workforce Leadership Award for APMA. Like, I was shocked. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. And it was unanimous. And I'm like, what are you? I'm like, Lauren, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I thought you were going to tell me that there was no more room at the dinner table for me. And she said, yeah. She's like, 
your work that you do in advancing women in these industries and and driving diversity forward does not go unnoticed and the board selected you and it was not even a question I don't take these opportunities for granted I don't take my platform for granted I know it comes with a huge weight and to be acknowledged by by leaders that I look up to in such in such a strong way and to know that they recognize the importance of the work that I'm doing at Build a Dream was such an honor. Like that alone was like it was such an honor and then to have it presented at the 70th anniversary in front of industry which was predominantly men. And for them to say that unless we bring more women to the table we're doing a disservice to the sector. That weight of the messaging, that weight of the importance of the work that we're doing was important. And it was such an honor to receive it. And then the other award was the Top 100 Women of Canada that was announced that same day. And actually, Lauren Tedesco, who's the VP at APMA, also received it. And we didn't know that we were both receiving it. And so that was really nice to be able to be in that room and to celebrate her but also to give me a different platform, not of prestige, but of you know credibility to say that when I'm walking into a room that gives me a little bit more, yeah, credibility to say, okay, well, she does know what she's talking about, clearly something, she's doing something right. I do a lot of things wrong, but something is do- I'm doing right. So let's just give her a chance and that just opens doors to have those conversations and to have deeper, more meaningful conversations with individuals. Lauren's the best. I love Lauren. Oh my gosh. Like Lauren and I, it's so funny. We've known each other for less than a year, but I, she's like, I feel like you're a friend. I was like, you are a friend. And it, there's this thing when you meet incredible, powerful women who also are balancing work life, family life, and all these different things and are ambitious and, and, and they're just trying to make it work and they and you lean on each other and you just you kind of get it it's like this connection where it's I get you I get how hard it took I get the work you did to get here and the work you continue to do to stay here and Lauren's one of the the most humble I don't know I have a million things I could I could uh, record a podcast just talking about how incredible Lauren is and she'll hate that if she's listening to this she's gonna hate it I'm gonna make sure she hears this I know oh yeah she's gonna feel so uncomfortable but you know, Lauren's incredible and I was so glad. And then and then Flavio. Like Flavio, what people don't know is many times he's invited me as his guest or as a guest to events that were ticketed and said, just come on as my guest. And then acknowledges, you know, the work I'm doing or the work Build a Dream is doing. He's done this with a, a lot of other leaders that are women that are trying to move the needle. He doesn't do it for pub- publicity. Like no one knows. Now people know. But... Those are the behind the scenes champions like yourself, like Brendan, like Flavio that are saying, you know what? We've been in rooms with men far too long. Let's bring more women to the forefront. Let's invite them as our as our guests, as part of the project, as part of the vision. And that's APMA. That's the team at APMA. That's a team at Trillium. And those are the partners we're often seeking because that's the only way we're going to uh, push for progress is collectively together on the same page. What, what you were saying about Flav is, is I think very accurate without going into too much detail and without embarrassing him too much. I have seen him actively in ways that will never be reported publicly, 
be an ally. I've seen him do it. It it comforted me to know that a Dodge Demon driving guy like Flavio gets it. Oh, he gets it. And he's in rooms that him getting it can influence a whole cultural change. And he does not take that privilege lightly. And so... Yeah, I know he's gonna. He's not gonna really like that we're talking about this, but oh well. You know what? Oh well. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Flavio. Um, we get to say nice things about you too. So um, exactly. But that's what it's going to take. It's yeah. the behind the closed door allies that say, you know what? Wait a minute. We really need to discuss this, and I don't know if I agree with the way that we've been doing things. How about we change this a little bit? And to use his platform to talk about that, we all know that. A woman can say the same thing as a man, but when the man says it, it's taken a little bit more seriously amongst men. And you know what? If that's what it's going to take to get us to that point, I will welcome as many allies, as many supporters who are interested because be a part of our community. Be a part of this great work so that you look back, your family looks back, and you leave a legacy that's beyond you, beyond your company. It's a legacy to, to say that a workforce came together to not only create jobs, but to advance and create an economy where everybody succeeds. Noor, I want to thank you so much for chatting with me today. This is because conversation has been a long time in, in the works, but I'm so glad we finally got to do it. You're not a podcast rookie. She's actually wearing headphones. She's got her own headphones on. She's the only guest so far. No, sorry. There was one other guest that did that. That was... Jeff Cowling from Yorkville Sound. He was the, because he works for Yorkville Sound. <laughs> I'd hope he'd have that. Yes. So, Noor, you've been a great podcast guest, both in terms of content and from a technical standpoint. Oh, you're welcome, Nick. You've been so easy. Like, it's so easy to work with you and, and, ha- and have conversations. We could keep going. We could. We, we could. could yeah. So, we're going to, I will stop this now because I know, I know you're busy. And I've, I've watched your phone <laughs> go off a few times. So, yeah, yeah I know you're busy. Uh, Noor. Thank you so much for the chat, and I look forward to our next one. I can't wait, Nick.